when does the business or the company ensure that they actually truly understand the power of design and the business can ensure that design is having the impact that it should inside the company. This is a Better Product original series on the business impact of product. I'm Christian. And I'm, wait, Christian, am I having deja vu? We already wrapped this series back in September. Well, you're right, we did. But I don't know if you know this, Anna, we're the hosts of Better Product. Right. Basically, I never wanted this series to end, and I feel like I have some say in what we produce. Mm-hmm. So we're bringing it back. The business impact of product design lives to see another episode. Okay, you're having way too much fun with this. Here's the deal, and I apologize to our listeners for my co-host here. We had the opportunity to connect with Alistair Simpson, VP of Design at Dropbox. And well, the conversation, as you'll soon hear, fit perfectly into our series on the business impact of product design. So we're revisiting the topic. Now, before I get too ahead of myself, let's take a step back to share how Alistair made his way to Dropbox. Shortish version of the career history. I mean, I didn't train as a designer. That's the interesting thing. I went to school and did a business degree, but did a lot of uh, psychology and consumer behavior, why people do things. And that's how I ended up eventually in my first design job as a design team of one. I did everything from building my own usability testing lab, getting engineering involved in looking at customers using websites that they couldn't use, all the way through to branding, visual design, interaction design. And then, you know, worked my way through various different jobs as working agency side, like building interesting things like in-flight entertainment, uh, streaming video and audio apps. Uh, And then I found my way to Atlassian. I spent six years at Atlassian and helped scale the design team from about 20 to over 200 in my time there. And then joined Dropbox as the VP of design about seven or eight months ago. So that's where I am today, running the, the design organization, which consists of brand, product design, UX writing, operations, design research. So I have the full kind of uh, end-to-end kind of customer experience here. You know, it's funny because we follow a lot of design teams and Atlassian is one of them. So we've actually read some of the stuff Alistair has written over the years about design leadership. With Alistair being a more recent addition to Dropbox, at least at the time of this recording in 2020, I was curious where he's headed with his newly appointed position. Dropbox has evolved over the years, creating new products like Dropbox Paper, which we at Innovate Map use constantly. And it's interesting to see the role design has played in their product evolution. So naturally, we asked Alistair to share his take on how design influences product direction. And you'll hear how he flips the script on our topic, asking how business can start to understand design. Rather than how design can speak more business-y. Well said, Christian. Well said. Do you think somebody originally flipped a literal script, like just like flipped it over and that's where that came from? Whoa, Tom, you flip the script, flip it over. I can't read it. So I see my charter as, you know, designing across the seams of our organization and making sure that the end-to-end experience and the promise that we give customers at any touch point is lived throughout that, that customer lifecycle. And so really that's what I, I see as the kind of high level charter uh, in my role but a bit deeper than that i also believe that you know really my job is to cultivate the right environment for all of our people not just designers but everybody every discipline because making great design 
is input by many, many different disciplines uh, in modern kind of product development. And so I see that my job is to cultivate that right environment for people to build great products. And so, you know, really I want, and I see my charter is that if you can design the company and design the system to be the best system that it can be, then the people and the products will follow that, right? So you need to think systemically. And so that's really what I see as my charter here at Dropbox today. If you think about, you know, what the product has always done, it's it's a trusted place to, to st- store important information that you have as a user, right? And so that important information as the world has changed is, is going from just documents to passwords, to contracts, to signatures, to, you know, so broadening that scope out and then into how do you collaborate on a file together, right? If you look at some of the the smart workspace product that we have, right? And then paper, it's like, okay, you have a document. How do you collaborate on those things with other people, whether they're inside or outside of your organization? And so I think that's just building out from your brand heritage or your brand equity or the thing that you've always been known for. And I think that's really important as you think about strategy around building on your existing strengths in, you know, being trusted to store critical information um, how do you actually expand that reach? Uh, I think is really, really quite important and prevalent. How design influences that strategy? I've written about design leadership and, and often design leaders will ask about, you know, how do I influence strategy more? How do I, you know, I, I really want, the, I don't like this term, but people talk about, I really want a seat at the table. It's like, okay, what is, which table are you talking about? Like, but, I mean, what they're really asking is, you know, we want to be a key partner in defining strategy, building products. And I think to kind of answer that, you have to start by, you know, defining what strategy is. I think the best definition for me is that strategy is how you navigate a competitive landscape. And I think that's really important that you start to understand, you know, the competitive landscape. So as a designer, it's no good just focusing inward on what you're doing. It's like, well, what is the competitive landscape outside? And then as design becomes more integrated and central to how businesses run, it is crucial that we as design leaders understand how to set good strategy and how to lean into the strategic process with your cross-functional partners. And that's what, you know, when I uh, mentor other design leaders, it's, it's about leaning in during that time and not leaning out. And what that means is that you have to be an active partner in those conversations. You have to understand the business metrics that you're trying to drive. You have to understand what your competitors are doing. And so I think the expectations of designers and design leaders is going up as we become more critical and central to shaping products and companies in this, in this modern world. And so I think ultimately... You know, design is accountable for that experience of your products or services. Uh, but still, even when you're setting strategy, you still have to come back to that question, you know, what is the problem that you're trying to solve and that people have in how they're using your products? And then how do you actually get it right? And so there are many different ways that you can lean in as a designer into that strategic process. But I think but actually leaning in because again when people say i want a seat at the table it's like well maybe you already have it but what are you doing there like how are you actually taking account of accountability for things and 
marrying that to some things, you know, at Dropbox that are going on right now, if I look at how I'm leaning in to those strategic discussions, we just uh, announced that we're going virtual first, which means that the primary mode for employees at Dropbox for work will be from a home office, so working from home. But we will be reopening our offices as collaboration spaces uh, for teams to go to to collaborate in person because we believe it's very important that people can come back and meet as a team in real life. Now, for me, I was I will be driving that virtual first transition in 2021. So we'll, we will be hiring ahead of virtual first. That person will report into me because I believe that design needs to start thinking about how the company operates and how the company builds products and services in that virtual first way, because it's much more powerful uh, than just focusing on the end product experience. If you can actually build a great system and actually design a really great system, then the products will actually follow. Uh, And so that's an example of actually leaning in and taking accountability uh, versus leaning out and just focusing on the design aspect. I think that's, that's a really interesting way to think about kind of how design can function inside an organization, not just obviously the logical place of like providing the design piece and, and then working on the product. But to take some of that, um, I really like what you said. You said you talk about the team designs across the seams of the organization. You design the whole customer experience. But to almost like take that thinking and apply it to the internal design of the, of the organization's systems. And so I want to dig into that a little bit more because I think it's a it's a really interesting concept. This idea of creating systems and creating these pieces that will function, how does that manifest on your team? How do you encourage that team to, to build those pieces and to, to think more systemically? I might answer that with a very short, initially tactical thing that I encourage all of my team to do. And that is to just pop their head up and send someone a Slack message. Has this been designed before? Have we solved this before? Because yes, the system is important and I'll come to that in a second, but often one of the most valuable things I think you can do as a designer or even not even as a designer, an engineer or product manager is just ask a question to somebody else around the company, especially if you're in a larger organization around, has this been solved before? Like, is there any prior art that we can leverage here? Because often, even unintentionally, you can just become in your own little silo of, of the feature team that you're working on. And so just popping your head up, and that's, that's something I encourage people to do. And, and that, you know, that does have a, a broader kind of framework. If you look at, I mean, going back to when we were all co-located in offices, architecturally, great offices were built, built or designed to have accidental collision spaces, places where you would run in serendipitously you know to other people uh, and you'd have ad hoc conversations and you might learn something right and so those collisions i think are important because even with the best system in the world you need to encourage those accidental collisions and kind of cross connections we did some research at dropbox about what life is like in a more distributed way of working when people are working remotely and the thing that you need to again try to get is more of those cross connections, those collisions with other people, because that's how you can discover things and build a better system. Ultimately, coming back to less tactically uh, thinking about systems, I touched on, you know, the virtual first piece uh, a few moments ago. And I think 
Something that I think is important around designing how a company operates and how you can encourage that is when we announced the virtual first uh, approach last month uh, at Dropbox, we also released a virtual first toolkit, which was a, I guess, a, a practical guide or a toolkit uh, as such of practical recommendations for how to work effectively in a remote setting or a virtual first environment. And that will be built out further. It's, it's available externally on the Dropbox blog right now, but it will be built out further. But if you look at that, it's a set of frameworks and guardrails or practices, if you will, that don't specifically tell you exactly how to work. Because I don't think, you know, the modern way of working, you don't want to be you know, you don't hire really smart people and then tell them exactly what to do and exactly when to do it. But they, it gives you frameworks and guardrails, this toolkit around how to work really effectively. And I use effectively, not efficiently, deliberately there, really effectively in a virtual first world. And it's kind of 70%, 80% fake, but it then allows the employee to take that practice or take that recommendation and and mold it to their own environment, mold it to their own context. But what it does is a com- at a company at scale, it gives people enough of a framework and enough of a guardrail so that we can all operate effectively at scale in a virtual first environment. And so that come, speaks more to the systems that I think, you know, as designers, we need to put in place in companies as they scale to help us all operate more effectively. Why do you think um, design should be a part of, of that discussion and not, you know, say like falling under the responsibility of, of HR or, or some other operations? What, why is this a, a designer's responsibility? You know, I actually think it could sit in either, like, to be honest. Like there are, and I can tell you that the Virtual First Toolkit was built with, in strong partnership with our HR team and our learning and development team and our engineering partners and product management. And when we were uh, creating it, we had a working group that as best as possible was diverse as possible with disciplines and locations so that we could get feedback in real time. Is this useful? Is it not? So nothing, I don't think necessarily anything is built or made just by design or just by HR or just by a particular team. I think anything nowadays that you make, whether it's a product, a service, a framework or a toolkit, like the virtual first toolkit is a team sport, ultimately, right? Like I think you succeed as a team and we fail as a team and everything in between. And so I think ultimately that's the key It's just who's driving it, right? Who is the actual driver? And one, coming back to your question, you know, I think design is well-placed because, you know, we're very human-centered. You know, whether it's for our customers or for employees, we're very kind of human centered in our approach, but we're also good facilitators, right? We're good facilitators at bringing in multiple points of view and then synthesizing and then recommending uh, a way forward. And so, and as I said, it's, that's ultimately why I think certainly at Dropbox that it's owned in, in design. And, and also I think, you know, culture change often needs to, to come from within. And so if, Ultimately, you know, the toolkit is you know, not all it's aimed at everybody across Dropbox, no matter what your discipline is, but we will be looking at how you build products and services. And so that starts with engineering, product and design. And so 
that's why I think it's important that it's led, you know, it's driven by that, by the design discipline, uh, so that we're human centered, so that we're facilitating. But as I said, it's not solely owned by me. We won't be creating it in a vacuum. <laughs> like we will be partnering because I think that's, that's so important, like that team sport aspect. Yeah. I mean, I'm a designer by, by trade. So I, I would be biased in this, but I think that design in this virtual first or remote or distributed team is one of the most impacted areas just because of the collaborative nature. So it almost seems like if, if anybody should really be taking it seriously, that the creative fields, you know, for sure. And I'm thinking, you know, as you, you mentioned it too, that you have architecture that, that is designed for those collisions with other people. And so I'm curious how, as you move to this, this virtual first, how are you, like, what are some examples of ways that you plan on keeping that collaborative or, or, you know, serendipitous uh, interactions between the different areas you oversee? Yeah, I think there's, you know, something that we've been doing now since I joined, which is a very simple tactic is every week we come together as a design leadership, an extended design leadership team. Uh, so not just my direct reports, but as an extended design leadership team. And we watch two presentations well, two of design work that's going on around the company. Okay. And so they're driven by my leadership team. And so everybody, every group that's represented across Dropbox gets to present every two or three weeks, just with the number of teams we have. But then what we do with that is we record it and we share that out to the whole design team and to my, my partners in product and engineering at the senior level. And what that's done is something that I talked about earlier. It's just raised visibility and created transparency around this is the work that is going on across the company and then encouraged those cross connections and those collisions, right? Because as I said, even with the best will in the world, sometimes you don't know what's going on, like just next to you and the team next to you. And so very tactically, I think that is a way that you can continue to create those moments for teams to accidentally collide and to, and to just spend time with one another. I think there's a simple tactic, another internal one, but on a Monday morning, everyone in my leadership team in our Slack channel, we share a photo from the weekend and then we put a short update of what we did. And so what that does is we get to understand and learn about each other on a more personal level. And so we create those connections, which is basically recreating the old water cooler. And so that all it does is to create that, but in a transparent Slack thread, and then people will comment on that. And so you start learning and creating those connections with people, which I think is important. But the thing with it being virtual first or remote or distributed, whatever your setup may be, it's about every interaction is an opportunity to show that you care about your teammates. And so whether that's creating personal moments of connection or work moments or transparency in the things that you're doing. And so being deliberate and intentional about your communication, whether that's synchronously or asynchronously, is really, really important. There are some of the internal ways that you can create those connections. And then externally, you have to remember that we're not just part of, I'm not, I don't see myself as just part of Dropbox. I'm part of the greater design community. I see that community is really important. 
because many of us are trying to solve similar problems. Okay. And so sharing is very important. So how you share, whether you have community programming, you know, Dropbox has had tremendous, I think, design community programming. We've just been running a creative speaker series featuring some really great speakers. And that's an opportunity to share with the design audience. Again, I think it's really important that you intentionally and deliberately focus on so that you can learn from one another, create connections, uh, which is really what we're all trying to do as humans. You know, if you go back to many, many years ago, we want to connect, right? And so just because we're working remotely doesn't mean that we can't anymore. I want to stay on that subject, but go up because you do have a seat at the table. And part of your job, I imagine, is translating all the secret businessy things you talk about at that table to the creative team. And as a design leader, I imagine it's, it's challenging to sort of convey the sort of business metrics that, that are driving the work. And it's really interesting to, to see that because I think, you know, Dropbox, at least on the outside, into the product itself is very creative. So I'm very curious to understand how you couple the creative world with the, the world of business and maintain maybe the integrity or the excitement that the creative team has with what the business needs. Yeah, totally. I mean, again, I've got a, an anecdote here. I had, I, I had lunch with, uh, I was unfortunate, but I guess a friend or mentor really is a gentleman by the name of Bob Baxley, who uh, worked at Apple for over a decade, Pinterest leading their design team. We were talking about this because you know, I, I'm a big advocate of design leaders are really business leaders today. And so to be a design leader, you need to understand the business, the metrics, like how does the business make money? Uh, and I was talking to Bob about this and, and Bob actually, he was like, yes, but how or when does the business or the company ensure that they actually truly understand the power of design? And if the business can ensure that design is having the impact that it should, inside the company and so flipping that question right i think is actually really important or it's quite because we had a good discussion about it and i still think that as a design leader i need to understand the business <laughs> like i do still think that bob didn't convince me otherwise but i do think there's so, certainly something in bob's point right around how does the business actually more learn about design right and how does that like how do you invert that so i think that's quite interesting like flipping that question um, sometimes but even so, as I said, I do believe that design leaders are business leaders. I think I learned, again, slight sidetrack, but I, one of my first jobs was in a call center in Australia when I was a backpacker. And I saw all these calls coming in and they cost a lot of money to service. And then when I, in my, one of my first jobs in design, I really made the connection because some of the work I was doing was diverting calls from a call center to because customers couldn't find the information that they wanted online, right? And so I could actually very directly trace the impact of creating better, better structure and information architecture around the content we had online to cost savings and reduce number of calls to the call center. And so I could directly map that impact from design through to the business metrics. Now, I knew the impact because I'd spent time with my business partners understanding, well, what does it cost to serve a call in the call center, right? You know, what is the average time to wait for customers? And so I'd done the due diligence and gone and understood the metrics that the business cared about. 
And I think that's the number one, coming back to your question, it's like, that's what you really need to understand as a designer. Like, what are the metrics that are driving the business? And how do you really understand them? And how can you then translate some of your work into improving some of those metrics? The thing though that I think as a design leader at the seat of the, at the table, right, is that you need to make sure that your business is focused on going back to fun, like what I would call first principles or fundamentals around if you create a product that customers love, that solves a real problem in an elegant way, the business metrics like revenue will follow. They will eventually follow. You need to have that belief, though, that you're creating something and you're not focused on revenue first. And so making sure that you have top-level metrics like customer satisfaction that you can track over time, I think, is really important. But then you need to understand that that is quite a high-level broad output metric. What are the input metrics or the driver metrics that you need to move in order to change that broad output metric? So for example, if you make a common task easier for your customers, hopefully you'll see a responding increase in customer satisfaction. Or if you make the information that customers can't find more easily accessible on your website, you'll hopefully see an increase in their satisfaction or a reduction in the number of calls that go through to your call center and the number of angry customers that may come through. So being able to translate those things I think is really important. I think it's important, you know, we as design leaders and just in business that we start to shift the conversation a little, a little bit. There's the notion of this triple bottom line, which is becoming more and more important, you know, where companies should commit to focusing as much on social and environmental concerns as they do just on profits. And so, you know, so instead of just having one bottom line, there should be three. So profit, yes people and the planet. And so if I look at say Dropbox, we're very focused on things like people internally. We've just obviously, we're in the middle of that global pandemic. But during that lockdown, some of the things that Dropbox did for its staff, we had full days off, which were called inner work days, where it was like, hey, it's a very stressful time right now. Take time out and focus on your inner self and your mental health. We had company-wide PTO days during summer to give people respite and a break and a number of other initiatives as well where we're very focused on people. And then if you look at people from a community aspect, some of the initiatives that Dropbox Design is focused on, ladies who create feminist propaganda. I run some black and URM mentoring circles. And so I think it's really important that you start to shift your thinking uh, around that kind of business impact. Uh, and make sure that the company and also the designers understand that it's more than just like one metric, right? There's lots of things that you need to really consider. And then just lastly, like a plug for, there's a, a series, uh, so design for business impact, uh, that you can, you can sign up for that Dropbox is supporting that again helps designers realize the impact that they can have on the business, which I think is you know, wonderful to see. I'm curious. Thinking about going forward 2021, what are you most looking forward to? I think I do hope that the world and the pandemic and everyone can be safer around the world. That's what I'm really looking forward to is hopefully a bit of a safer environment for everyone. I think what the pandemic has done is it's accelerated 
the rate of change in how we work. And so you've probably seen 10 years worth of development in how people work in the space of six months because we've had to, right? And so you had to shift into these newer ways of working. And so the thing that I'm most looking forward to is helping to design that new way of working, you know, leading that virtual first transition for Dropbox, I think is important. Like, and it's, you know, I'm incredibly proud, I guess, to be leading that for the company. And if you think of how I think about, you know, the virtual first transition and the toolkit that I've mentioned, Dropbox's mission is to design an enlightened way of working. And so I think that virtual first toolkit helps us ladder up to design, intentionally design that enlightened way of working. And so I think it's a rare opportunity uh, to kind of seize that moment with intention. And so that's really what I'm looking forward to in 2021. We wouldn't be able to survive without your guys' product. I don't know if we had a pandemic just even five years ago, it would be even harder than it is now. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's really phenomenal that even the, the pace that the things have accelerated in the last five years, and I can only imagine what the next year is going to bring. Dropbox kind of underpins a lot of the virtual work. So it'll be interesting to see how you all continue to lead in, in that regard. I mean, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of exciting you know, things uh, that, that can be done. So enlightened is a good word. Yeah, and I think it's important, right? Like it's tools are important. Products are important. Okay, like products like Dropbox, you know, they're important. Uh, like Zoom, they're important products. But that's why I'm excited about the virtual first toolkit that we're creating is because tools are just one part of the puzzle, right? Like we're all humans and we need to interact with one another, whether it's in person or virtually. And so being intentional about how you do that, I think is really important. And often I think companies can miss that right? They can just be like, well, we've got a new product and that will solve it. And it's like, well, will it? Like, that's one part of it. It's important. It need, you need great products, you know, you need to have them. But being intentional about how you operate, I think is really powerful. This has been great. Um, we've got a lot out of this. Appreciate your time, Alistair. As always. Yeah, this isn't I'm changing. In, uh, Wait, am I, am I, do I say that? You? I don't know. You're supposed to let me speak. I guess so. Okay. All right. As always. Uh, yeah, this isn't changing. I'm Anna. And I'm Christian. And this is, and this is Better, better pro- product. product. Better Product. I healed it. Thanks for listening to the show this week. If you're looking for more resources on how to design, build, market, and sell better products, then head over to betterproduct.community to join, well, the community. And as always, we're curious, what does better product mean to you? Shoot us an email at podcasts at innovatemap.com.